0: It's not about building my ministry. It's how do I empower those who are coming up behind me? And there's so many people who have paved the way for me that I feel a responsibility to do the same for others because it's not about necessarily fighting battles in my mind. It's more about just opening doors and creating pathways and modeling it in a positive way so that you can't argue with something that's done well. Welcome to your
1: Pastor Reads Books. I'm your host, Heather Weber, and today my guest is Assemblies of God ordained minister Nikki Stade. And Nikki and I talk all about women in ministry, surprise callings, and Nijay Gupta's popular book released this year, Tell Her Story How Women Led, Taught, and Ministered in the Early Church. Nikki Stade serves on the pastoral staff at Refuge OC in Orange, California. She's also the executive director of Women of SoCal, a department in the SoCal Network in the Assemblies of God that serves to support and equip women in the local church, credentialed women, and pastors' lives. She also serves as a support and resource to female ministers as the communications coordinator for the Assemblies of God's Network of Women Ministers. I hope you enjoy this amazing conversation with a female minister who's all about empowering women in ministry and inviting men to come alongside them as partners for the sake of the gospel. Nikki, welcome to the show. It's so good to have you here today.
0: Hey, Heather. I'm so honored to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
1: So you work in multiple areas of ministry. You work in a local church. You work as the executive director of the Women of SoCal, which is, you know, a network in the Southern California network of the Assemblies of God, which is how, you know, where you are, hold your ordination. Um, You also serve on a national team for the Network of Women Ministers. How did you end up where you are in ministry? You know, Heather, I honestly
0: ask myself that question every day. (laughs) Um, the truth is I, can I, can I like take it all the way back to the beginning because working in many different roles, representing many different areas of life and ministry and even the community, um, really is not a simple answer. Um, and so honestly, for me, I kind of fell into it. I'll be honest. It was one of those things where God kept opening doors and asking me like, um, One of my favorite movies when I was a kid was the Disney version of Aladdin. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when he like is on the magic carpet and he reaches his hand out and he says, do you trust me? You know, it's like, I keep having those moments with the Lord. Do you trust me? And it's whether or not I'm willing to step off the ledge and onto whatever adventure he has for me. Mm -hmm. So anytime he opens a door, whether it's a crack, you know, or swinging it wide, um, I've determined in my heart to just say yes and Mm. see where it goes Mm. Um, rather than trying to determine, is this the Lord's will? Is this the Mm. Lord's will? Is this the Lord's will? I've just determined I'm going to say yes and trust that if this is something that is not for me, he's going to close that door. Mm. And in fact, that's where (laughs) I tend to struggle the most is, "Are are you closing this door, Lord? Or am I just you know, tired and need a nap, like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it's, that's how I ended up in each of these roles, but I love each of them for different reasons and in different ways. And it's an honor to be on each of these teams.
1: You know, when we, um, when we talked previously, um, I knew a little bit, you shared a little bit of your story, which was like, I didn't even think I would be a pastor. Like, so how did you even... How did you get from not even thinking you'd be a pastor to, well, whatever door you open, God, I will say yes in ministry.
0: Yeah. So I didn't grow up in church and I have a lot of friends that um, their claim to fame is they're like fourth generation Pentecostal preachers, you know, and I love that for them. They are such a deep wealth of tradition and knowledge and mm-hmm. encouragement and resources. But I'm a first generation Pentecostal preacher. In fact, um I was at a conference recently where we were sitting around the lunch table with people. We were all getting to know one another. And someone asked me, well, what did the previous generations do? And I said, drugs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I came out of a family. I was born to an unwed teenage mother, and she raised me on her own. And we struggled in an environment full of addiction and abuse and a lot of instability and when I was 14 I started to exhibit a lot of those same Mm. um, life patterns that's what was modeled for me right and we do what we see and so what was modeled for me was all of that instability and um, so I was running away from home and I was Mm. hanging out with the wrong crowd and I was doing all of the things and my mom kicked me out and said you have to go live with your father well my biological father had been largely absent from my life and he lived on the other. Other side of the country, so I went to live with this virtual stranger. I had spent one summer with him. I was 14 years old and had only spent one summer with him up until that point. Wow! But in that time, since you know he graduated high school, and then 14 years later I moved in, he had become a Christian, Mm. and I was immediately just introduced into this world of church life. I got saved in a church plant in high school and I found my people. It was like, as soon as I realized that Jesus was the one that I was looking for in Mm -hmm. all of that searching and dissatisfaction, I couldn't get enough. And so I just wanted to be around the church all the time. So when I was 18, I was now too old for youth group but not really like ready to go be with the grownups, you know? And so I did that Mm -hmm. thing where you just kind of keep hanging out and saying, how can I help? How can I help? And so Mm -hmm. I started as a serving as a youth leader and then um, we would do anything that we needed to do, set up chairs, you know, anything. I was just always at the church all the time. And as I grew and became an actual adult. I got married. Um, you know, like I'm I'm not saying that's the marker of adulthood. I'm just saying for me, like if I was no longer just that weird out of high school kid. Like I was now well into my 20s and even heading into my 30s. And I'm starting to get to where I'm teaching Bible studies. God's just hmm. continuing to open doors for me in the, you know, the the church that I was serving in. And um I thought, you know, I want to at least do this well. Like if I'm going to teach the Bible, I want to make sure I'm not committing accidental heresy, you know? So, um, so our denomination here in my local area in Southern California, we have what's called school of ministry. So I thought, I'm just going to go to a class or two, hmm. try to learn what I can about being a better Bible study teacher. Hmm. And I showed up on the first day of school of ministry and I realized I've made a big mistake. This is not just to learn how to be a better Bible study teacher. This is like basically pastor school. Mm. And I was like, oh, wait, (laughs) but I'm a girl. I don't know if you noticed, Mm. but I'm I'm a woman, you know? And I just felt like in my experience, I couldn't get enough like information. I just wanted to know more. So I kept showing up. I just Mm. learned, like, I just wanted to learn all the things. It all fascinated me. And the more that I showed up, the more that God would reveal to me in little ways that, This is what I'm calling you to do. Hmm. And when I realized um, that women could be pastors, it was like all of a sudden, you know, the puzzle piece, Hmm. you know, kind of fell in place. And Mm -hmm. you see the whole picture for the first time. Mm -hmm. It just made sense. And from that moment on, I'm like, Lord, I'm going to trust you. Mm -hmm. like. I, you took me from there to here. I don't even know where else you could possibly take me. Mm. But if you're going to open a door, I'm going to walk through it. And mm. with each obedient step after obedient step, not to say I've always done it right. There have been times where I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have walked through that door. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, we've all experienced that. Yes. But, um, but learning to just trust him and say yes more often than I say mm. no has really just, I never would have applied for any of the things that I'm doing now. Like, I never would have said, here's my resume. Would you consider me for this Mm -hmm. position? Because of my background, because of things that, you know, even as a middle-aged woman, I still struggle with sometimes. I would never think, oh, yeah, I could do that. Mm -hmm. God opens the door for me and shows me, I've created you for this. Mm -hmm. I've purposed you for this. I've prepared you for this. And so now do you trust me? And so I just keep taking His hand Stepping on that Mm. carpet, for lack of a better term. (laughs) Wow. It's, yeah, I felt goosebumps a few times as
1: you were talking and really relate to your story because I also am a first generation Pentecostal preacher. I wasn't raised thinking women could be pastors. And yet I found my people, my church community as well, like without my parents attending just at a local church in Iowa with people who loved me. And uh, yeah, it's, I'm resonating a lot with what you're sharing. And um, one of the things I know about you is that you're often recommending books to people on your teams, people, you know, your friends in ministry. How did your love for reading develop?
0: Yeah. So as a kid, um, it was sort of my escape route. I loved spending time at the library. Um, Book fairs were my favorite. Like that was Mm. my favorite day. It was (laughs) like, mom, can I please just have like 50 cents? You know, like this was back in the 80s when books weren't that expensive. That's a good deal. (laughs) but it was literally like my favorite thing to do was read and I remember even being in sixth grade and thinking I'm going to be an author someday now that hasn't happened yet but it is on my bucket list to Mm. write a book someday um but it's one of those things where I've just always found um solace and comfort in books now that's changed a little as I've grown and you know doing what I do now, it's become more of a hunger for knowledge, Mm -hmm. not so much fantasy and escapism. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so yeah, it's just a lot of that. It's like, I just want to read this and be like, oh, now this is a resource. And, Mm -hmm. And if it's something that doesn't necessarily affect me personally, now, it might in the future, or it might be something that I'm going to run across somebody and, oh, I just read this book. I think that you would really get a lot out Mm -hmm. of this. Mm -hmm. And now I'm in a season where I'm connecting with different authors. And so I'm like, oh, you're, you just wrote a book and I'm celebrating with Mm. them. Like, I'm so excited that a lot of my friends are writing books and I'm like, maybe someday, Lord, maybe someday. (laughs) Yes.
1: Yes. Well, that's exciting. Uh, so you know the book that you're going to talk about today is uh, related to your story a little bit. Can you introduce it and give us a snapshot
0: of this? Yeah, this one. So I love this book that we're going to talk about today. It is literally called "Tell Her Story," and it's by Nijay Gupta, and it is about how women led, taught, and ministered in the early church. And I was introduced to this book by a friend of mine. He's pursuing a doctorate degree and he had uh, Dr. Gupta as his professor for one of his classes. And he told me about him and I was getting ready to host an event and I was looking for a speaker and he was like, let me see if I could, you know, make a connection here. And unfortunately he wasn't available to come and speak at this event. I was really sad, but, uh, it's a maybe someday, maybe if you're listening,
1: (laughs) Yeah, Um,
0: but it was right before his book came out. And so when his book came out, I immediately grabbed it on Kindle and, um, and then I got Audible and now I own the physical copy. And so I'm just like, I just am so enamored by the fact, you know, there's a lot of great books out there about women in ministry and a lot of empowering books, a lot of books that help kind of equip women and men with um, biblical evidence that women can do this that women are not only allowed to do this but are called to do this Um, but I love that he takes this all the way back and tells the literal stories of the women in the bible he doesn't just cherry pick a verse here and there and build a story upon that Mm. but he really goes deep into the culture um what it was like living there. And he calls women by name and humanizes them. They're not just one or two sentences in the whole of scripture. Mm-hmm. They're people. And I just found that whole point of view fascinating. Mm-hmm.
1: Was there a particular um, part of scripture that you felt he just really particularly illuminated for you?
0: Yes. So there's a couple. um Right in the beginning, he jumps into the story of Deborah. Mm-hmm. And she's often either um overlooked and dismissed as well, she just you know, she had to do it because the men wouldn't step up. Yeah. You I know what that. I'm saying? Yep, and, I hear that. We still hear that a lot today. Like, well, if a man had done it, then a woman wouldn't need to, or, you know, whatever. But he really points out that, no, no, she was meant to do that. She was well-equipped to do that. And um, she was really, there's a part here uh, on the bottom of page 19 of the physical Mm -hmm. book. He writes, Deborah is an important answer to the question, can a woman dot, 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 or is a woman allowed to dot, dot, dot? Deborah could, Deborah was... God was behind it. Hmm. And I just love that so much. Um, He also goes into, in the very next chapter, about about Eve. Hmm. And he talks about, he goes all the way back to Genesis, and he really picks up on the idea of Eve being created as helper. Hmm. And this is something that, again, women hear a lot. Like, well, Eve was created second, and she was really created to be like Adam's assistant, right, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. um second in command, or whatever you want to call it, right mm-hmm. um, And this especially gets brought up a lot when when you're talking about female lead pastors or women on the board, but he goes into the Hebrew word Ezer
1: mm-hmm. and
0: how that word isn't always adequately translated in English. Mm-hmm. And how in this particular case, it's referring to Eve. But in just about every other case it's used throughout Scripture, it's referring to God as mm. our helper. Not yeah. to say, and he points this out, not to say that Eve is Adam's savior because she's not, but that she isn't his servant either. Yeah, She's equal. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's just really important just to put as a foundation, like Mm. while he's talking about women in the early church, he does take it all the way back to the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so important when you're trying to reconcile God's character, you really do have to know the context of Mm. what's going on in scripture. And if you understand God's character, it's a little bit easier to be like, Oh yeah, he definitely like, yes, Jesus respected and, um, and invited women in but it's because God did it first Mm, yeah he did
1: it in Genesis Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it'll I was trying to think of like and I've heard this about Ezra before I've tried to think of language you know better language other than assistant or helper and I don't know if powerful ally gets at it you know or powerful partner I don't know it's that is wonderful. And it does lay a foundation for for this. And I actually did get to read that part. For those listening who don't know, I lost my copy of Tell Her Story. And I was bemoaning this fact online. And you, Nikki, sent me another copy. And I never found my original copy. So I hope somebody's really benefiting from it right now. And I'm so appreciative. I'm about 40% of the way through. Awesome. Um, yeah, but but tell me, Nikki, so a book like this would be useful for so many reasons and contribute to general scholarship about women in the early church, but how has the book and ideas from the book impacted your life of following Christ?
0: Yeah, you know, I have so many great books on my bookshelf. I keep looking over here. In fact, the beginning of our conversation, before you started recording, my whole book stack started to fall over (laughs) because I'm trying to pull other books. I'm like, oh my gosh, Dr. Joy Qualls, you know, God forgive us for being women. Um, There's uh, so many on my, I'm like, now they're all in a a jumble. um, So I'm not seeing all the titles, but there's so many great books um, that can be used as resources that can really champion women and encourage them if they're feeling called and they don't Um, maybe they don't know what that looks like, you know, like you or I, we didn't see that modeled necessarily. And yet here we are, um, in church leadership in various contexts. And I think it's so important for women to know that like Deborah, you can, you Mm -hmm. will, God's behind it. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a powerful aspect of this book. That's a little different in that it is written by a man. Mm. It's a man telling the stories of women in the Bible. And so much like a friend of mine who is in the academic world and is constantly championing women in ministry, though she does not hold credentials herself, she has often said it's she doesn't feel called to get credentials at this time Mm -hmm. because for her, it gives her a little bit more of a dog in the fight. shes mm. It's not self-serving in any way for her to argue for women in ministry. Mm. She is not a woman in ministry. Mm. And I feel the same can be said about Nijay Gupta's writing mm. in that he's not a woman fighting for his place mm. in the church leadership world, in following the call that God has placed on his life. He is just a man who has collected this information and is putting it out there for the world. And no matter where you fall on the spectrum, whether you believe women should be or shouldn't be involved in church leadership, whatever your background is, you can't argue with what he has placed between the two covers of this book. Mm. This is what women were like in scripture, and this is what their roles were. This is how Jesus interacted with them. Um, you can't argue that Jesus was respectful and he was kind and he listened and he had actual conversations with them. He didn't just order yeah. them around. He actually yeah. sat down and wanted to discuss matters of life and spirituality with them. And, um, and I think that there's something to be said that a gentleman would write this. And mm-hmm. now we can have it in our library and pull it out whenever we need somebody to just encourage us. Hmm. Say, you know what? You can do it. You will mm-hmm. do it because God is behind you. And I just love that. Wow. Yeah. In my own experience,
1: and you're alluding to this, there's something like, a oh, wait, that lifts when there's a man in the proverbial room, right? Who is willing to like fight that battle for, for the women in ministry who are willing to take seriously the women in ministry and, um, yeah, and not to over inflate this, you know, or, or, and, and Dr. Gupta is just a man, but, but it is what Jesus did. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's such a gift to be taken seriously as a woman yeah. minister. And so do you. did you find as you were reading it just a, a sense of comfort, like a sense of like affirmation of your
0: calling? Yeah, I definitely did. And I remember even going through, back when I was going through those school of ministry classes and still discovering the depths of my calling, mm. uh, sitting in a class just strictly on the book of Romans. Mm. And Paul is often the first um, playing card that people put out of why women should not be in ministry yeah. and why women should not lead, why women should you know remain silent in the church. And yet I learned in that class for the first time about Romans 16 and the depths of which Paul interacted with women and trusted them with ministry responsibilities and even called them Mm co-laborers and Nijay Gupta goes into that in this book later on in fact he even has um there's a portion that I forgot to bookmark oh no here it is I have all my little tabs um but he talks specifically about like Phoebe and what her role was and whether or not she actually like read the letter you know Mm -hmm. what is is she a deacon? Is she a pastor? You know, he kind of goes into all of that, and it's just absolutely fascinating. Um, but it just kind of took me back to that day when I first discovered, oh, Paul actually did affirm women in ministry, mm-hmm. and there are certain ways that I think our own biases interpret Scripture, mm-hmm. and so when we can actually like dig down deep and learn who these people were and what they did and why they did it we can have a better idea of the meaning behind the words that we're reading. You know what I'm yes, saying? Yes. And he does a little bit in here on Romans 16. I mean, how could you not like you kind yeah. of have to, right? right. But I love in the very back, he has the, what about section mm. and it's really like practical. Um, you know, what about the submission texts in the new Testament household codes? Like he talks about mm. that. He talks about the hard stuff. Mm. He doesn't just like, slap some flowers on it and say, Oh, you know, yeah, he actually like digs in and shows that he's done his research. Mm -hmm. And it's really encouraging, because I'm in a place now where um, I'm very secure in my calling, you know, when I was in my early 20s, I didn't know that I was even called because I didn't know this was allowed when I was in my thirties, I was discovering it. I was beginning to take my first steps in my calling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, but I was insecure. I wanted people to like me. I didn't want to rock the boat mm-hmm. and now I'm middle-aged. Okay. I'm like <laughs> in my forties <40s, laughs> and I am in a place where, while like I said, there are certain things where I still kind of struggle. I think we all do. Mm-hmm. Right. It's part of our yeah humanness. Um, But I'm in a place now where I have to get over some of that because it's time for me to pass the baton. Yeah, I'm now in a place where I'm championing others Mm. and I'm trying to encourage and equip others in their calling. Mm -hmm. And I see the young 20 somethings and the young 30 somethings coming up behind me. And so many of them are so much farther along than I ever was at that age. And I'm so grateful for that. But to be able to have a resource, to have Mm. a tool to say, this is going to help you. To me, that's so valuable because it's not so much about me these days. It's about who am I impacting and who can I encourage? Because I'm not going to be around forever. you know. I mean, all of us, our callings have expiration dates. So it's not about building my kingdom. It's not about building my ministry. Mm -hmm. It's how do I empower those who are coming up behind me? Mm -hmm. And there's so many people who have paved the way for me that I feel a responsibility to do the same for others. So when I have tools like this book, Tell Her Story, I can pull that into conversation and say, have you considered this thought? Because it's not about necessarily fighting battles in my yeah. Mind. yeah. It's more about just opening doors and creating pathways mm-hmm. and modeling it in a positive way so that you can't argue with something that's done well. Yeah. Right. You, If if somebody's going to come at you with a battle kind of mentality, you, there's always going to be a way to combat that. Yeah. But if you just model it well, and you're constantly being an example for others and you're showing them, like you're just reaching out your hand and saying, come with me, let's do this together. Mm-hmm. And having tools like this is so valuable for that kind of work.
1: Yes. Is it common for you to encounter younger women who do have a call in their lives, but maybe they're like you, they're still not convinced that it's a place for a woman. Is that common anymore in the assemblies of God? I mean, I also am an ordained assemblies of God minister, but I think you are connecting with more women than
0: I am right now. Yeah. I think that, um, it's a good mix. We're not a hundred percent there yet there. It depends on where you live and what your background is. As far Mm -hmm. as, um, culturally Mm -hmm. there are areas in our country that are still very much lean towards, uh, complementarian, um, or kind of a little bit more of an old school or traditional manner. Mm -hmm. So you have women who are growing up in those areas that don't see it modeled. Um, and when you have somebody that's older and more experienced telling you, this is the way it is, Mm -hmm. it's easy to just believe them, you know, like, well, they said, this is the way it is. So this is the way it must be. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, again, going back to this book, um, he just breaks it down and says, this is what it says in Scripture. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. you can't argue with that. You know, you really can't. Um, there, On the other hand, there are women who are coming up behind me that I'm so proud of because— mm they've always seen it modeled. They've always seen it done well. And so for them, their issues are a little bit different than my generation and those that went before me. Mm -hmm. Because they're like, well, of course, women can be in ministry. Like that's all they've ever known. It's not a question. And I love that. I'm like, I'm grateful for that, that Mm -hmm. that has been their experience. But I think there are still some areas where that's not everybody's story yet. But I'm hoping that for my daughter's generation and the generation that comes after her, that it'll be a little bit easier, and if we can just I mean think about it, the assemblies of God has been ordaining women for a hundred years, you know, yeah, and we're still struggling with it on some level, yeah, but I can see it it's getting better faster, yeah, that makes sense.
1: yeah, there's like a momentum. I think the last statistic I heard was that uh like five percent of assemblies of God churches are led by women. And yet we're, so we've got 5% of the churches have women as lead pastors. And yet I'm hearing more and more from districts, including our district in Iowa, that when they're having credentialing ceremonies every year at, at our you know annual conference, we are seeing 50% women, 50% men, sometimes more women than men. And and I think that's a phenomenon we haven't seen before.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, I I 100% agree. Um, I'm not sure what the latest statistics are, but um, the last I checked, which was around the beginning of this year, so about six months ago, we had a little over 10,000 credentialed women in the Assemblies of God. Mm -hmm. And I think just over 600 of them are lead pastors. Mm -hmm. So you have a lot of women that are missionaries or associate pastors or worship pastors or kids pastors or women's pastors Mm -hmm. um, or evangelists or chaplains, um, but few are leading Mm -hmm. the church. Mm -hmm. Um, In Southern California, we have about 17 or 18 women that are lead pastors. Wow. Out of almost 500 churches, it still wow. doesn't sound like a lot, Mm-mm. but we're doing okay compared to some other areas of the country. Yeah, Like statistically, you, know? you
1: might be a little bit higher.
0: A little that. bit. Yeah. But yeah. there's still work to do. Obviously mm-hmm. there's still work to do. Um, and a lot of it is, there's, there's two different areas of thought is do women know that it's allowed? So are they submitting their resumes? Yeah. Right. And then there's also the idea of our particular organization, the Assemblies of God, we're congregationally led. Mm -hmm. And so you have congregations of people who are making hiring decisions, right? They're the ones who are making up the pastoral search committee, partnering with their board, partnering Mm -hmm. with the district in certain ways. But ultimately, in a lot of cases, it comes down to a congregational vote, Mm -hmm. right? Do we like you? Do we think you're a good fit? we're going to vote for you. Mm-hmm. And if the congregation doesn't hold the theology that allows for women to be in yes. those roles, it's going to cause a lot of hurdles for women who feel called to these areas. Yes, So that's where our work really needs to be done. Um, it's Um, A lot of it has to do with empowering women and just modeling it for them. Yes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But we also need to teach it it needs to be taught. It needs to be practiced. It mm-hmm. needs to be modeled for our congregations as well. They yes. need to see more women in leadership so that when a woman applies at their church to them, it's not unusual. Mm-hmm. Like, normalize it. You right? Know? And a lot of that is where we hit some of those hurdles. Yes. Know? And it would
1: even be helpful if churches were intentional about placing women on boards, right? Because then you yeah. would see that modeled in the local church. Wow, Nikki, this is really good. I'm wondering if there is any uh, last piece of wisdom that you would want to pass on to either a woman listening who is trying to discern her calling or a man listening who is, you know, trying to discern what scripture says about this topic or, you know, how to feel about about women ministers in their churches. Uh, Any last Bits of wisdom.
0: Yeah, I think I think I would just encourage women to continue to follow after Christ, not a calling. I think it's very important for women to know that you can be called. God calls all, right? the, the the, the Great Commission is to go and make disciples of all nations. It's it's not divided by gender. It's just go. If you are a disciple of Christ, you are called to go and do this. Mm-hmm. However, if we are chasing after a calling, we're going to get it backwards. We need to chase after Christ and see where He leads us. Mm-hmm. And I think that same thing can be said to the men in the room, right? Mm-hmm. if If they are following after Christ— then whatever they're call, their calling could change, right? It doesn't matter what they are doing right now, right? It, whether it's a temporary assignment or a long-term assignment, follow after Christ, because yeah. that's really where our focus needs to be. And a lot of it is just keep doing what you're doing because you don't know who's watching, And so as you follow after Christ, others will notice and others will see that's how doors are opened. That's Mm. how hearts are opened. That's how ministries are successful. Whatever your metric system is for measuring success, Mm. it's based on where is your heart in alignment with Christ. And so just if you keep that as your focus, it doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman that 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 ultimately is the goal is to follow after Christ and the rest will just fall into place. And the things that don't matter, things that don't happen don't matter. It'll all yeah. work out in the end. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah.
1: yeah. It's good. Um, I saw a reel last week of Stephanie Gretzinger, who's a, a worship leader who I think like the world beca- came to know her through Bethel worship, but she was speaking to a group and she said, Don't make this your calling, like the worship. Don't make worship leading your calling because you're going to inevitably go home empty and disappointed. Your calling is Him.
0: Your calling is Him. Absolutely. And I think sometimes it's very easy when we get caught up in our own insecurities, we begin chasing after affirmation instead of after the one who created us. And I think that's where and maybe it's maybe i'm just preaching to myself that's where it's important for us to remain focused because books like this are amazing and i'm am so grateful for it but if i'm only reading books like this because i need fulfillment i need to know that i'm okay mm that's, that's where you begin to get into the danger zone. We need to be chasing after God and we need to make sure that our hearts are aligned with him and allow him to be our affirmation because not everybody's going to like what you're doing. Yeah. But you're not called to them. Right. 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 Amen. This
1: seems like a great uh, moment to end our conversation. Thank you so much for being here and just shedding some light on this issue, um, talking about Nijay Gupta's book, Tell Her Story, How Women Led. What What's the subtitle? How women-, how women Led, Taught and Ministered in the Early Church. Boom. All right. Thanks so much, Nikki. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening in on my conversation with Pastor Nikki Stade about Nije Gupta's Tell Her Story, How Women Led, Taught, and Ministered in the Early Church. You can follow Nikki's ministry at Nikki.Stade on the socials. Don't worry, the link to that and the women of SoCal Network that she directs are in the show notes. Also, if you want to support the podcast in spirit or with your bank account, you can subscribe to it at yprb.substack.com or give it a rating on your favorite podcast platform, share an episode on the socials, or send a link to a friend. Once again, I'm your host, Heather Weber. For more information about me, head on over to my website at heatherweber.org. That's Weber with one B. Thanks for listening and don't forget to read a great book today.